Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome back to Misconduct. I'm Eileen, and joining me is Colleen and, drumroll please, <laughs> it's the best drumroll I could do, is Lainey from True Crime Fan Club. Not only is Lainey recording our first ever crossover with us, she's actually here in the loft with us. How are you, Lainey? I'm seriously so happy to be here with you guys. You've been super gracious host to me, and I really enjoyed my time here so far. How are you liking San Francisco? I love it. Uh, you're in a really fun location where you can see and do a lot. I love visiting Oakland and seeing Brooke. She's on Twitter yeah. at Brooke underscore pod junkie and seeing all the art that she pointed out. It was really great. I really enjoyed being able to do some true crime trivia with y'all. We went to the San Francisco Chronicle, the Berkeley Marina, and awesome. even paid our respects to Elizabeth Short at her grave. I know. we That was awesome. And we are so excited we get to do this with you. So thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Anchorage saw an increase in homicides in 2016. Late that summer, a terrifying pattern seemed to be emerging. People were being shot to death in pairs on the bike trails that wind through the city, and police were left with very little evidence to go on. Some victims seemed to know each other, and others didn't. All victims were victims of opportunity. I first heard about this case in late 2016 because articles began popping up asking if there was an unidentified serial killer operating in Anchorage, and police were quick to dismiss the speculation, but the death toll continued to rise. All of that came to an end in November when a chance encounter between a pedestrian and a police officer turned deadly. Soon police would match a gun at the scene to five previously unsolved murders from that year, and the person responsible was dead, but Anchorage was left with more questions than answers. On the morning of Sunday, July 3rd, 2016, shortly after 7.30, a pedestrian walking on the Ship Creek bike path that winds through downtown Anchorage came across a gruesome discovery. At the intersection of Post Road and Viking Drive, they found the bodies of two people that the police would later identify as 20-year-old Brianna Foise and 41-year-old Jason Netter. The bike trail is well-traveled by residents throughout the week, but particularly on the weekends. The location of the bodies, however, was in a more isolated section just off the trail. Police were tight-lipped on the details of the deaths, but did say early on that the deaths were not natural. Two days later, the police ruled that the deaths were homicide, but no cause of death was released to the public. Investigators said that they were likely killed where they were found and were not dead for a long period before the police got there. The police did not release the nature of their relationship, but did say that the two were acquaintances. They also released surveillance photos of two people who were on the trail before the discovery. 
First, there was a man in dark clothing with a backpack who was seen walking on Post Road. The second was a jogger in a yellow shirt who was picked up by a security camera jogging over a bridge near the crime scene. Both men were labeled persons of interest by the police, and they asked anyone with any information to come forward. With little information to go on, the media dug into the past of the two victims. Brianna was homeless at the time of her murder, but an interview with her mother revealed that there is much more to her than just the detail that was printed in dozens of articles about her death. Brianna was adopted out of foster care when she was five years old with her older sister. She grew up in Anchorage with four siblings, loved singing, and was outgoing. Her mom would later say that she was always up a tree but with a tutu on. Despite being a spunky kid, she did come from a rough upbringing. She entered the foster care system at a young age and was diagnosed with attachment disorder as a result of early childhood abuse. In addition to attachment disorder, she was also diagnosed with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Although she had a rocky start, by the time she got to high school, Brianna seemed to be doing okay. She was known to stick up for people, especially those who were being bullied. Unfortunately, some of the symptoms of her FASD diagnosis is impaired judgment and decision-making, which can lead to risky behavior, and in Brianna's case, it did. Her brother said that she made a lot of friends, and she made them easily, and she was always meeting new people, but also she was sometimes too trusting of her new friends. Unfortunately, some of those friends were headed down a bad path, and soon Brianna developed a drug habit. She left her home in favor of couch surfing at friends or staying a few nights at the Covenant House in Anchorage. It wasn't a permanent living solution, but she was free from the rules that came along with living at her mom's house. She joined a group of people living in a local park who referred to themselves as home free or homeless by choice. While her mother provided a lot for her, nothing seemed to be as precious to her as the ability to do whatever she wanted and live life on her own terms. Even though Brianna had left home, she stayed in contact with her mom and was close to her. They would regularly meet up for coffee or Brianna's favorite, sushi. Her mom was also helping her get clean, but Brianna wanted to do it on her own, and although she would tell her mom she was ready to go, she never entered treatment. Three weeks before her death, her mom walked into the lobby of her office to see her daughter waiting for her. They made plans for lunch the following week, and she gave Brianna money for pizza. Brianna told her mom to tell her brothers that she loved them, and then she left, and this was the last time that her mother saw Brianna alive. This might be how Brianna crossed paths with Jason Netter, but unfortunately not much is known about him. What we do know from public records is that Jason had a storied criminal history, including a felony drug charge that he pled guilty to in 2014. After the double murder, Anchorage residents were on edge. This wasn't the first double murder the city had seen that year. Six months earlier, in late January, a dog walker on the Point Worzenoff bike trail found the body of 19-year-old Selena Mullinax on the beach a few yards from the trail. While the police were searching the area surrounding the crime scene, they came across a second victim, 20-year-old Oni Opert Morissette. He was alive, but barely, and would be pronounced dead at the hospital. The parallels between the two murders were apparent and troubling. Citizens and reporters immediately connected the two, and believed that they could be related, but police remained silent and didn't provide additional details and would not confirm if they were investigating the possibility that they were committed by the same person. On July 29th, just after 3 a.m., less than a month after Jason and Brianna were found near Ship Creek Bike Path, police received multiple calls reporting gunshots at the intersection of Duben Avenue and Boland Street. 
Police responded and found 21-year-old Travion Kendall Thompson deceased in the street. He suffered multiple gunshot wounds, but other than labeling the death a homicide, police weren't releasing any more information. We would later find out that Travion Kendall was riding his bike after getting off his shift from work, and it appeared that he was a random target. People who lived in the neighborhood said that they were woken up shortly before 4 a.m. by police knocking on their door. They asked if they had security cameras on their property or if they had heard gunshots, and if so, how many did they hear? Unfortunately, most of them were woken up by the police officers and not the actual gunshots. So once again, Anchorage had a murder on their hands with few witnesses and police weren't making any statements or releasing any information. Travion Kendall was born and raised in Anchorage and he graduated high school from Benny Benson High School in 2014. He worked at Petco and volunteered in his spare time. He liked to hike and ride his bicycle and recently he started playing Pokemon Go, which was all the rage in summer of 2016. Those who knew him described him as a gentle soul, and he loved helping people, and he had planned on joining the Army with ultimate dreams of becoming a doctor. Sad. Police didn't have to wait long before they had another double murder on their hands. In the early morning hours of August 28th, a passerby found the body of 25-year-old Brian DeHusson on the bike trail that winds through the valley of the Moon Park. The passerby was walking through the park when they came across the body of Bryant, who went by Bree dead near their bicycle. Police were on the scene investigating at 1.42 a.m. During their search of the area, they came across the body of 34-year-old Kevin Turner at 2.06 a.m. Police noted that not much evidence was left at the scene, but that Kevin had been shot multiple times. They chose not to release any information about the causes of death to the public. Police did publicly say that the deaths were homicides, and they did announce that there was no connection between Kevin and Bree. The killings seemed to be random, and that the two were in the wrong place at the wrong time. At the time of their death, Bree was riding their bike through the park on their way to meet up with a friend. When they didn't arrive, their friend got worried as time passed. The friend decided to start going in the direction they knew Bree would be coming from, assuming they would meet up, and Bree was just running late. Bree was well-known in the environmental activism scene in Anchorage. Bree grew up in Anchorage and graduated from West Anchorage High School. After graduating, they helped organize the Occupy Anchorage movement when it first formed in 2011 and was considered by most to be one of the core occupiers. The house Bree lived in essentially became a kitchen where Bree cooked for other occupiers, and they studied different farming techniques, including cold climate organic farming and the agricultural theory of permaculture. They also traveled extensively to different protest locations to learn about nonviolent direct action techniques. Like Travion Kendall, friends said Bree loved Pokemon Go and the Valley of the Moon Pavilion had a Pokestop. Friends wondered if Bree had planned to make a quick stop there to play before continuing on and stumbled across something bad. Their dad was interviewed by the media and said that he thinks Bree was traveling through the area and came across a problem and potentially tried to intervene or help. That theory could make sense because the other victim was Kevin Schuyler Turner, and according to his family, Kevin suffered from bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. He was in an assisted living facility until a month before his death when he left. According to his siblings, he was being treated poorly at the facility due to his mental illness, and after leaving the facility, Kevin became homeless and was sleeping in the Valley of the Moon Park. Kevin's family remembered him beyond just his struggles with mental illness. He was loving and protective of people close to him, and he would also stand up for what was right, whether he knew the person or not. 
His brother recalled a time that Kevin saved his life while they were fishing and he had fallen in and his brother, Kevin, actually saved him from drowning. And he said that his brother was always his hero. Kevin's family also thought it was possible that Kevin was killed when he saw something and tried to help her intervene. And the families of Kevin and Bree found out after being brought together due to this terrible tragedy that the two were actually distantly related cousins, but they did not know each other before the murders. With the number of unsolved homicides on track to hit an all-time high, the city was on edge. On September 6, the mayor of Anchorage held a press conference and stated that the increase in homicides in 2016 was due to gang violence. The mayor refused to acknowledge a serial killer theory and refused to comment on a possible connection between the unsolved murders. Two weeks after Bree and Kevin were killed, on September 12, the Anchorage police held a press conference to announce two new developments. First, they announced that the FBI was offering a $10,000 cash reward for information in Travion Kendall's murder. Second, a sketch of a person of interest was released. Police refused to clarify why the FBI was offering reward or why the FBI was involved at all, so the unexplained FBI presence was suspicious to say the least. During the press conference that was called last minute to begin with, police were evasive when asked if the person of interest in this murder was also a person of interest in the other unsolved murders that happened in 2016. The sketch was compiled based on three girls who saw a man hanging out in the woods near their home. They heard gunfire and saw Travion Kendall, who was riding his bike home from work, fall to the ground and saw the man who had been hiding in the woods steal the bike and ride off. The sketch showed a white man in his 30s or 40s with shoulder-length hair. Police also advised that people be on the lookout for a man with a yellow motive bicycle because they believed after he stole it, he might be still using it for transportation. The image was circulated around police and staff, but it was to no avail. No one seemed to recognize the man in the sketch, so police decided to make the information public. A tip line was set up with the FBI as well as local police Despite the public attention, no one was positively identified. Although this deviated from the other murders in that Travion Kendall was shot on the street and not on or around a bike or walking trail, police did match the bullets in his death to the murders of Brianna and Jason in early July and the murders of Kevin and Bree in late August. They did not release this information to the public at the time. This may be why they were quick to call the FBI. As far as they could tell, Brianna and Jason and Kevin and Bree did not know Travion Kendall, but the matching gun and unidentifiable man would be cause for alarm. Declining to fill in the public just kind of generated more speculation, and it was also at this point that the... Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact... You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
police recommended that citizens should avoid trails after dark and stay away from isolated or secluded areas. They asked that everyone be extra aware of their surroundings, particularly during the hours when not many people were out and about. And it was also suggested that those that had to be out late travel with a buddy or two whenever possible. When pressed about the warning, police downplayed the significance, pointing out that they had issued a similar warning earlier in the year to make people aware of a rise of car thefts in the area. Citizens also took matters into their own hands as best they could. Trail Watch is a volunteer-run organization that began in 2006 when the city saw an increase on attacks against women on the biking trails. Their goal was to help decrease assaults by being eyes on the ground for the police and reporting any suspicious behavior. They also worked to cut down overgrown vegetation along the trails to make it harder for people to hide or lie in wait. It was in mid-September that suspicions about a possible serial killer in Anchorage really began to take hold. Police refused to answer the question when asked by the media, but they also refused to deny the possibility that a serial killer was operating within the city limits. Between late June and mid-September, there were a total of 15 homicides in Anchorage. By September 3rd, there had been 25 homicides in Anchorage that year, and that was high for the city and only a couple murders away from matching their previous deadliest year on record, which was in 1995 when they saw 29 homicides. Wow. No new developments were made in the murders, and 2016 began to draw to a close. That was until mid-November. On November 12, 2016, at 4.30 a.m., Anchorage PD officer Arne Salau was responding to a call from a taxi driver who said that they had a passenger skip out on his fare. So there's actually police dash camera footage of what happens next, and we'll link it on our website and social media so you can watch it. But for now, we'll just kind of explain what happens on the video. While responding to the call, Officer Salau saw a man walking down the empty street, away from where the cab driver reported the theft. Officer Salau pulled up alongside the man and asked him if he saw anything related to the cab fare theft. The man ignored him and kept walking. He didn't even acknowledge that he knew the police car was next to him. Officer Salau then asked for the man to stop because he had some questions for him, and he still did not stop. Then he asked for the man to stop over the loudspeaker on his patrol car, and he still did not stop. He just kept looking forward and kept walking. Then, without warning, the man quickly turns around and pulls out a gun and fires multiple times at Officer Salau. The dash camera video cuts out just as he turns around, so you can see how quickly it happens. It's really jarring to watch. The man fired four times at the police vehicle and continued to approach the car and Officer Salau exited the car and returned fire. They then got into a physical altercation... As this was unfolding, a second officer who had been patrolling the area came across the scene, and that officer returned fire as well, and that is what actually stopped the attack. The man was pronounced dead at the scene from multiple gunshot wounds, and police did not release how many times the man was shot. Officer Salau was hit four times and sustained damage to his intestines, liver, and bones. He required seven hours of surgery to repair the damage, but he did survive. Police initially reported that they did not know why this man suddenly opened fire. The gun used by the shooter at the scene was then sent to the crime lab for testing, and the results they got back were very surprising. The man had used a Colt Python 357, and test results matched this gun to the gun used in five unsolved homicides that took place between July 3rd and August 28th. The deaths of Brianna Foise, Jason Netter, 
Travion Kendall Thompson, Brita Hessen, and Kevin Turner were all tied to this cult python. When the police announced the connection of the murders to the public, the families of the victims were shocked, and it turned out that investigators were keeping them in the dark as well. Some of the families said they hadn't even heard from Anchorage PD since their loved one was murdered. The man was formally identified as well as 40-year-old James Dale Ritchie, and police were working overtime to find out as much about him as possible. James Dale Ritchie was born on November 4, 1976, and was raised in the Wonder Park neighborhood in Anchorage. He was a well-known athlete at East Anchorage High School, playing on the basketball and football teams. He graduated in 1994. Coincidentally, the same year Officer Arne Salau attended the high school as a freshman. Those who knew him were shocked by his actions, saying it didn't fit the James Del Ritchie that they thought they knew. In addition to being an athlete, Ritchie was also a really good student. He scored well on his SATs and attended West Virginia University to study engineering. He dropped out after one semester. Although he was athletically and academically gifted and scouted by colleges while still in high school, Richie did not follow that life path. Instead, he picked up a handful of arrests and felony convictions. After dropping out of school, he returned home to Alaska and started selling drugs. By 1998, he was a well-known drug dealer who went by the name Tiny, which was a little ironic because he stood six foot three. His first arrest was in 1998 when Ritchie was confronted by police and responded by reaching for his waistband and a semi-automatic handgun fell out of the bottom of his pant leg and he was detained. In addition to the gun, police found ammo, a bag full of crack, and a significant amount of money. He pled no contest to felony misconduct involving a controlled substance and was sentenced to three years probation. Ritchie wrote a letter to the judge in his case saying that quote, he knows he ruined his life, and quote, wishes he could take it all back and go back to high school. He also said he wanted to finish college and buy a house and raise a family. Despite him saying he wanted to get his life on track, his actions told a different story. In 1999, while still on probation, he was pulled over for driving erratically, and he told the officer that he had been drinking and taking Prozac. Officers found opened beer cans and crack in the car as well as a handgun. Once again, Richie pled no contest to charges involving a controlled substance and was given another three years probation. He would be arrested multiple times between 2002 and 2005 for various parole violations. In 2005, he added a first-degree burglary charge to the list after he broke into a home in East Anchorage and police officers found over $5,000 on him that he had taken from the home. He pled no contest and spent two years in custody awaiting trial before being released in 2007. In 2009, he went to Virginia and lived in the town his parents had relocated to, and he picked up some minor traffic violations, but there was nothing particularly noteworthy. Then in February 2016, after a breakup with a girlfriend, he returned to Alaska. His movements after returning to Anchorage were not particularly well-known, which left investigators to try and piece it all together after he died. The police sketch that was generated from statements given by the witnesses of Travion Kendall shows a resemblance to Richie, and we will post the sketch in a mugshot side-by-side on our website. The gun was not registered to Richie. It was originally registered in 1971, and the original owner was questioned. It was not immediately known, and investigators have not released information on how they think Richie got a hold of the gun. 
On April 26, 2017, Anchorage police released a statement that they had probable cause to hold Richie responsible for all five deaths linked to the Colt Python. They said that he alone was responsible and labeled him a serial killer. They officially closed the case of the five murders. There were several coincidences that connected the people involved in this case together that I thought we could mention. Like we previously said, Officer Salau and Richie went to high school together. Then it was discovered that Bree and Kevin were distantly related family members, even though they didn't know each other. It was also discovered after Richie's death that Travion Kendall was the son of Richie's good friend from high school. Police do not think that Travion Kendall was targeted, and I don't think that Richie knew who he was or his relationship to his friend. It is not known why James Dell Ritchie decided to return to Alaska in early 2016. It is also not known why he decided to begin his murdering spree in early July 2016. And unfortunately, we're unable to get answers to those questions. By the end of 2016, the homicide rate did surpass the previous record of most homicides in one year. 1995 saw 29 homicides, while 2016 saw 34 homicides by year end. One case we did mention in the beginning was initially lumped in with the killings attributed to James Dale Ritchie, but it was later ruled out after his death because the gun used did not match. 19-year-old Serena Mullinox and 20-year-old Oni Albert Morissette were found shot to death in an isolated section of the bike trail in the Point Warrensoff section of Anchorage in January 2016. Serena was described by her friends and family as a bubbly, bright person who was a good mom to her two-year-old daughter, and she had plans to finish her GED, go to college, and start her life with her kid. Not much information is available about Oni, and even less is known about why the two are on the bike path. Initially, it was thought that the case was related to the double murders of Kevin and Bree and Jason and Brianna because of the similarities, but when the gun didn't match, police were back at square one. That was until December 2016, when police announced an arrest in the case. 21-year-old Jamal Hall was arrested in Anchorage and charged with murder for their deaths. The district attorney did not identify a motive, but did state that several witnesses came forward with information regarding the murders. They promised that this information would come out at trial. If convicted, Jamal Hall faces 99 years on each murder count, and his bail was set at $1 million. Jamal was also charged with robbery for an incident at a Walgreens that happened in November 2016 in South Anchorage. Jamal maintains his innocence and has entered a plea of not guilty. He is currently awaiting trial. So this case was interesting. Like I said in the beginning, I had kind of followed it before they'd identified Richie and I'd come across it completely by chance. I just happened to see like an article somewhere that was talking about, you know, maybe there's a serial killer in Anchorage. Mm -hmm. I am glad there was some resolution in this case um, and the case at Point Warren's off. And it's a shame that James Dale Ritchie will never have to stand trial and can't answer for what he did, though. Do you think that the police should have done more to keep the public in the loop? Or do you think they made the right call by holding on to information? I think the police really botched this one. I get not wanting to fall into the hole, there's a serial killer on the loose mentality. But at that point, public safety is really important. If perhaps they had considered the serial killer out, then maybe citizens would have been able to report something suspicious. I think it would have been better if they acknowledged the serial killer theory as opposed to the gang activity one. I agree. I know sometimes police need to keep you know, details close to the vest. But in this instance, public safety should have taken precedence, especially after they made the connections that this was one person doing this. And that wraps up our case for this week. 
but we do have a couple of five-star reviews we want to thank. We have a reviewer we want to say thank you to. Thank you to Future Daydream for your feedback. And if you're liking the show and have a second, consider leaving us a review. Reviews help the show, and we love to hear from you guys. We also have a new Patreon we want to thank. Thank you to Sue for your pledge. Your support and the support of our other Patreons help make the show possible, so we can't thank you enough for your generosity. If you want to become a Patreon supporter or want to check out what merch we have available, head on over to patreon.com slash misconductpodcast. And be sure to stay tuned at the end of the episode for a word from our friends that they walk among us. And thank you again to Lainey for doing this episode with us and tell the people where they can find you. Thanks so much for having me again. Had so much fun. You can find me on Twitter at TCFCPod, Facebook.com forward slash TCFCPodcast. My website for True Crime Fan Club is TrueCrimeFanClub.com. But I also have another podcast called We're All Just Pretending. And you can check it out on AllPretendingPod.com. You guys are featured on the very first episode. So head over to the website. You can find it on iTunes. Well, that wraps us up for another episode of Misconduct. Thank you so much for joining us. Head over to our Facebook group to discuss this week's case. If you are not already a member, join and one of our mods will add you ASAP. We love to hear your thoughts and opinions on the cases. Hop on over and let us know what you think. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at MisconductPod. We want to give a huge shout out to the Blank Tapes for our intro and outro music. Be sure to check them out on Bandcamp and listen to more of their music. And if you have a case suggestion, let us know about it. You can email us at misconductpodcast at gmail.com, and we will see you next week. They Walk Among Us is a podcast exploring the UK's most sinister and surreal crimes, including the woman who killed the boyfriend as he spent too much time on Facebook, to the teenage boys whose online relationship involves spies, sex, and the near-fatal stabbing of one of them. Subscribe on iTunes or your favourite podcast provider. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.